Welcome to the Payroll Podcast with your host, Nick Day. Find out what it takes to truly discover what it takes to elevate your career within payroll as we meet with the industry leaders who are shaping the industry for tomorrow. Hello and welcome to today's September edition of Payroll Question Time. We've got a new Prime Minister, a new Pensions Minister, a new Chancellor. All has taken place since our last PQT. And with all these new appointments, we've seen so many announcements be made that we're all going to have a huge impact on payroll. And we're going to try and run through all of those through today's shows. The government, of course, has released a growth plan for the UK that's focused on cutting costs and simplifying policies, not necessarily simplifying the process for payroll professionals, though. One key change that's going to impact me as a payroll recruiter is, of course, the repealing of the off-payroll working rules, known as R35. So we'll be talking about that later on in the show. We've also heard the Chancellor, Kwasi Kwarteng, announce that the 1.25 percentage point increase in national insurance will be reversed from the 6th of November. In addition to the reverse of this year's increase to NI, next year's health and social care levy of 1.25% due to be introduced from April 23 will also not go ahead, also as part of the government's growth plans. That means the payslip messaging we've talked about loads on the show over the last few episodes uh, won't necessarily be needed because it's not going to be applicable. And of course, the real living wage has also increased £10.90 an hour, a £1 increase in the UK and 11.95 in London, a 90p increase as costs of living increase as well. That's almost 400,000 people working for over 11,000 real living wage employers throughout the country are going to receive a vital cost of living pay boost to support workers and families. Meanwhile, aside from all the government announcements, we've also seen the CIPP release its annual Future of Payroll report. And we have Sam joining us for the first time today from the CIPP. Now, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Nick Day. I'm host of the Payroll podcast. I'm a Reward 300 member and I'm founder of JGA Recruitment, which is a specialist payroll recruitment company. I've been in the industry now for two decades. I love it. I'm passionate about it. I love this show. But that's enough about me. I'd love to introduce you all to our fantastic panel, of which we have a new guest for the first time. So I'm going to start with Sam O'Sullivan, policy lead from the CRPP. I wonder if you could introduce yourself, Sam. Hi, thank you, Nick, and thank you so much for having me on today's show. So as Nick said, my name is Sam O'Sullivan, and I'm the current policy lead at the CIPP. I've been with the CIPP from the back end of March and really enjoyed my time there. Um, as Nick said, lots to keep us occupied at the moment, lots of changes that we've all got to get our heads around. So hopefully we can uh, clarify any kind of concerns that you've got on today's show. Thanks, Nick. Fantastic. And moving far as, well, as I look at it from right to left, uh, Andy Nichols, our resident pensions expert and industry liaison manager from the pensions regulator. Andy. Hi, everyone. Yeah, it's good. Looking forward to our chat, really, about all the wonders that the government have given us to consider. Isn't it good? My background's all payroll, hence um, it's nice to be able to blend the payroll and the pensions together and understand it from a, oh, what is the impact of payroll because of this um, and everything else, of course. That's me. And of course, if you have any pensions questions, put them in the chat box as well. We'll have Andy here to answer those for you as we go through. And last but by no means least, Simon Parsons, Director of UK Compliance at SD Works. Uh, introduce yourself, Simon. Yeah, good afternoon, everyone. It's good to be with you. I've been in the industry now since uh, 1984, Nick, so a little while. I think uh, my third stint here at uh, SD Works has been for the past 25 and a half years. And I deal with the compliance of our solutions and interactions with government. Also sit on a number of government panels, as does Sam to a certain extent. So uh, we, uh, uh, part of the employer payroll group and others, I chair the BCS payroll specialist group, 
and Irene, and I'm a Reward 300 member, uh, similar to yourself, Nick. Fantastic. Well, let's move on through then and let you all know what our today's topics are going to be, which won't be a surprise to many of you. I'll let Simon catch up with the slides. But we're going to be talking today about the growth plans. Uh, obviously, some of those announcements I mentioned in the introduction. In particular, we're going to talk about national insurance and how it impacts us from November 2022, the health and social care levy, simplification of income tax, off payroll workers and IR35, the real living wage and real hours, and there'll be some hot topics if we have time we'd like to run through as well. But before we jump into the first bit, let's get everyone active. Let's get everyone listening and involved. We're going to launch or try and launch our first poll. Now, I'm going to let you all know I've never launched a poll on this system before, so let's hope that it works. I'm um, going to try and launch it now. The question for all of you is, did you provide paid leave for the Queen's funeral bank holiday? You have three options here. You may select one, either yes no or don't know. And while we wait for those results to come through, I'm going to just tackle our first question. So thank you for already putting it into the box. Um, and we'll wait for those results. I'm going to ask you this, Simon, if I can. I'm going to get straight in there with a query. I'm wondering how the Class 1A NIC will be calculated on P11 values for this tax year, considering the changes in the additional 1.25% applied for NI and then being removed from November onwards. I'm going to mention that now because we're about to jump into NI. So, uh, Simon, I wonder if you could tackle that question for us. So P11D, of course. Yeah, in relation to P11D, um, this is an interesting area. And uh, the operation of having five months of 13.8% and seven months of 15.05% results in the tax year 2022-23 having what's called a blended employer's national insurance contribution. That blended rate, which is 14.53%, will apply to Class 1A on benefits in kind and Class 1B. It doesn't apply to Class 1A real-time on termination and sporting testimonials. That is point in time application only and reverts back to 13.8%. So the real time payroll calculation of class 1A doesn't relate to benefits at all or PSA. That relates to termination and sporting testimonials only, the amounts over £30,000 in the case of termination payments. So take care with that. Benefits are judged at the rate applicable at the end of the tax year and reported on the P11DB form as an adjustment value if you're payrolling or from the P11D, it'll carry forward to the P11DB form at the rate of 14.53% for this tax year. And then next tax year, 23-24, it'll revert back to 13.8%. So hopefully that helps. But Class 1A terminations, Class 1A benefits in kind are totally different and separate uh, liabilities. Perfect. So thank you ever so much, Jess, for getting straight in there with your first question. Now, we've got the poll results. I'll come to you, Sam, with these. Uh, hopefully not surprising for everybody, but 95% said yes. What are your thoughts on those? Yeah, as I would have expected, in all honesty, Nick. So with your statutory bank holidays, it'd be 5.6 weeks. Obviously, if there are any additional days. So this year we had the Queen's Jubilee and the Queen's Funeral Bank Holiday. You would not have to give those extra days off. It doesn't form part of the statutory entitlement. However, I think most employers did do that. So I'm not surprised by those results. It's as I would have expected. 
Fantastic. Well, let's jump back in. I know everyone's keen to get involved in these growth plans. We're going to hide those away. We're going to move across into the slides. Let's talk straight in about national insurance. So uh, a few things to, to cover off here. We've got national insurance directors, uh, blended class 1A terminations and, and more. I'm going to come to you, Simon, to begin with. Just give us a bit of an overview of the things we need to consider here um, and for everyone that's, that's joined us and how these growth plans really do impact payroll. Yeah, and it's going to be a mixed message a uh, little bit, Nick, because the general principle of national insurance is it's due at the rates applicable at the point of payment. And certainly we were seeing people questioning whether earnings paid in April, for example, but worked in March, whether they should be on March rates or April rates. And uh, lots of those sorts of scenarios have very little relevance. The application point for national assurance is when did you pay it, not when did you earn it. And so in most cases, so there's an element of that principle applies. So the national insurance change is from November the 6th onwards is at the new rate. But if you pay it on November the 5th, which would just happen to be a Saturday, you actually do it on the current rates, the I'm higher. I'm going to jump in so quickly, Simon. I've had a quick question that relates exactly to that, and I think this, you've probably answered it, but I'll make sure that we do so we're not repeating content. Um, sure. I've got a question that says, are we able then to, to tell them, ask our employees if they wish to delay our existing monthly payroll or monthly bonuses and ask them if they would rather be paid on the 7th so we can provide our employees with the NI reductions that are effective from the 6th of November? I'm not going to answer the question, Nick. I think that's a, an interesting point that a number of people will raise, but you'll need to decide whether um, that's a contriving some sort of avoidance. So the answer is possibly. Does that help a bit? This is where we go yeah. back to the disclaimer. And it's sort of, uh, was that consideration made by a number of employers when the rate went up this year? Um, I know it was, because say I haven't provided advice either way. So some people did pay, for example, bonuses early to avoid the increase. Uh, should they, could they? I think you need to seek your own legal advice. But potentially, the principle is it's point of payment. So yeah. um, that might infer that you can. Sam, so I wonder if you could just take it a little bit further and talk about how this impacts uh, directors blended and, and maybe just take the conversation through the, uh, the next bullet point for us. Yeah, so I know Simon's touched on the blended element of the NI for Class 1 A's and Class 1 B's. Essentially, the same is going to apply for your directors. It's going to be a blended rate. So we know that for employees, you pay NI and you pay it on the day that you pay it and it's not cumulative, whereas with directors, it can be cumulative. So they have also created a blended rate for directors as well. And Simon, you'll be able to clarify these rates, but the rates will be for earnings above the PT up to the UEL, it's going to be 12.73%. Anything over the UEL, it's 2.73%. That's for the director themselves, the employee. For the employer's contributions, it's all the 14.53%. Have I got that right, Simon? <laughs> uh, absolutely, Sam. Of course you would, wouldn't you? But uh, I wouldn't expect anything else. I guess Thank the you. interesting thing with directors, you think, will directors leave? They start mid 
year, etc. Oh, and we operate the alternate method. And uh, reality is, I think, Sam, at some point in the year, an annual method is required by law to be applied. That might be March, or it might be the period they left, if earlier. But yeah, even for right. a director using the alternate method, you must do an annual reconciliation type calculation and deal with the differences at some point, either the last payment or the last payment in the tax year, or their directorship, if you're not paying them any more. So yeah. it's going to be interesting. Plus, many will say, well, the director left in July. What do I do? Yeah, the requirement is that the blended rates will apply for the 2022-23 tax year. So those that have already gone will require a recalculation. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned in my introduction as well, we've also seen the uh, the removal of the health and social care levy. So I wondered if you could uh, bring us up to speed on those changes, Simon. Yeah, sure. So the increase of 1.25% to employees and employers' national insurance was to cover the health and social care levy for this year, but it was meant to be introduced as a separate tax. So next year, everything was going to go back to how we're having it from the 9th of November, if you could say. And for next year, there was going to be a new tax liability for both employees and employers of this 1.25. Liz Truss and her hustings wanted to get rid of this. So she promised that she'd uh, get rid of it. And it's repealed. So there will not be any health and social care levy in uh, 23-24 tax year. It's gone. And I think if I read correctly, I think I mentioned the introduction, Sam, that means it's um, going to have an impact on the payroll or payslip messaging as well? Yeah, so obviously we've got the payslip messaging at the moment, which I know there's been lots of discussions around um, Uh, as to whether people wanted to use it, whether they liked it or not. So, you know, for those that didn't like it, we can park it come November because we're losing that payslip message. It's no longer needed. However, employers might want to put a different payslip message on there to say, your national insurance rates have changed. Be mindful of this. I think when change is implemented in payroll, one of the main impacts is the number of queries that get sent through to your payroll department or your agent that's processing your payroll. So if you can let employees know that there is a difference on a payslip, one, it prevents the queries, and two, it empowers the employees to know why there is a difference. So I think employers should think about putting a new pasted message on, one which they create and they can choose the wording um, to inform individuals why their NI has changed come the 6th of November. Perfect. And of course, if anyone has any questions about national insurance changes or health and social care levy being removed, do put it in the questions box while we're on this subject and we'll try and answer those questions as we go. Um, last but not least on, on our slide here, I've got a question for Andy to come after this. Uh, the creation of investment zones. Um, I wonder if you could uh, just bring that up to speed for us, Simon. Yeah, sure. So part of the announcements of the growth plan 2022, because we didn't have a mini budget, we didn't have a budget, it was the growth plan announcements, was the creation of investment zones. These seem as if they're very similar to the Freeport type concept of and a number of uh, councils are being in discussion about setting up development areas where they want employment to grow, which in effect brings in an ability for an employer for a new employment 
to not have to pay national insurance contributions, secondary national insurance contributions for earnings up to £50,000 or £50,272 would be a precise. They don't state that value, but uh, it's similar with veterans. It's £50,270. Sorry, I get the values wrong. And we're waiting to hear more details, but I suspect this will bring in probably another uh, one to three NIC category letters. We don't know how long this is going to last. We don't know when it's going to start, but they're actually negotiating, discussing whatever with local authorities about new creation of investment zones that allow these tax reliefs for employers and uh, brings in a national insurance concession. Perfect. I know that, Sam, the CRPP worked very closely with HMRC on consultations, other bits and pieces. Anything you can you can add to that? There isn't really, but I've got a question for Simon. Do you think they're going to add a new secondary threshold like they did with the FUST and the VUST to accommodate this? That would be a disaster, wouldn't it, if they did? <laughs> um, yes. Uh, well, and, and Sam will know we've had lots of discussions with HMRC policy, national insurance-wise, through the representative groups, such as British Computer Society Barrel Specialist Group, and IRENE because the EP5 specification required the insertion of a FUST into all NI calculations. And I think that caused some angst with training because to actually do a manual equivalent uh, would be very difficult because the FUST has got nothing to do with anybody apart from free ports. And the, the oddity about it is that although the EB5 specification tells software it has to insert the FUST and guidance was telling is it had to be inserted in all calculations. The law didn't. And they've actually conceded that actually, if you calculate in accordance with the law, you're okay. And actually, the tables don't either. Uh, And it was conceded, actually, that the table method calculations are not defined in law at all. So the four pound steps that you get on monthly, nowhere in law says, does it say that's allowed? It's something that was invented in uh, back in the old uh, DW, well, uh, DHSS days, I guess, of, um, of simplifying things for payroll is to do these four pound and one pound roundings and has just carried on with tradition. So there has been concession. So let's hope there won't be, I don't know what we call them, uh, um, I was saying it as Zust, should we call them or something like that? inserted and at the moment it looks like it's going to align itself with the upper secondary threshold and the veterans upper secondary threshold as well otherwise it's going to be a nightmare i'm going to bring loop andy in just for now as well we've got a new pensions minister of course so i just wonder if there's any impact on pensions that um these growth announcements have uh, had on on any of this we've discussed so far or whether is it a little bit too soon um, I'll, I'll ask you the question. So anything we need to know on the pension side following our, our new appointment of a new pensions minister? Yeah, well, obviously, the new pensions minister needs a bit of time to settle in, I guess, and work out what he would like to concentrate and focus on. Um, Alex Berghart will wait and see. Obviously, the regulator, DVP, and everyone else will be chatting away to find out those things. I think um, from a pension, purely pensions perspective, I think the uh, the announcement of growth plan and the impact that had on the financial markets means that TPR have been monitoring what's going on there because um, particularly for DB schemes where they've got investments in in government bonds and if yeah. those start, you know, there's a, there's a, an impact. And so uh, it's good the Bank of England um, 
did their announcement to start to put stability back into the financial markets to help trustees feel more at ease as to the the future of their liquidity, as they like to call it, of the pension scheme. So that's good. Um, In terms of national insurance, there's not really a big impact from a pension perspective. I think it's more about the tax thing, but I think that's going to come up in the slider. So, um, yeah. yes. So we've, I think watch this space in terms of pensions and see what the minister yeah. focuses on, because there's a lot of projects. We can talk about the pension implications of tax in just a moment. Let's, yeah. let's jump into tax in just a second. Before I do, I want to get everyone involved in our next poll, because we know that all the software providers are going to be quickly changing their systems to be updated for these changes. I'd like to know if everyone is ready from a payroll perspective for the changes. So uh, let me see if I can launch this second poll. Do you think you can implement national insurance changes by November? Answers are yes, all covered. I need to know more or no. So they can launch that poll and see how the results come in there. Please everyone can answer their, their answers here. While we're waiting for those responses, I'll introduce what the next section is going to be, because we are going to be talking about growth plan and tax. We're going to be talking about the simplification of income tax, the 19% basic rate, the abolition of the 45% rate. We've had a question related to that already. Dividends and pension implications as well, which uh, Andy just uh, just talked about very briefly. So at the moment, the results are coming in. Let's have a look. We've got here. Uh, Watch these results. So we've got 50%. Yes, all covered. 25% need to know more. And 25% no. So if you do need to know more and you have any questions you want to put in the box, do put them in. We have a chance to try and answer those now. Uh, but wondered, Sam, if you could just comment on these results as, as they stand at the moment. Yeah, well, it's good to know that half of us think we can get it all implemented in time, right? Um, I'd like to know what people need to know more on. Um, and like you say, Nick, ask any questions and we'll try and answer as many of those um, as we can. I think with payroll, you kind of you need to know what's going on but you always like you said you rely on the software being able to do it for you but the key thing that I would say to anyone processing a payroll whether you are an agent or whether you are a payroll professional get your head around the changes in the first instance the last thing you want is your system to malfunction hopefully that would never happen and you not know how to manually calculate everything so get your head around everything and hopefully then you would see that yes all covered skyrocket to 100 percent super i just had a couple of comments i may have closed that poll slightly early so apologies if you were keen to get your response and but didn't quite make it but barbara mentioned she would have ticked tick, yes just to put it slightly over that 50 percent mark had we got there but let's, let's jump into the the tax implications i know this is something that um we're keen to get into and the implications of of the uh of the announcements, the growth plan announcements on tax. Let's, let's begin with the simplification of income tax. And I'll come back to you, Simon, just to give us an introduction to that, if we may. Well, th- this is the justification uh, that the Chancellor and the Prime Minister are making, is that they want this simplification. But there are other implications with that. Uh, interesting, I've been a committee member of the Office of Tax Simplification, the one that worked on the introducing of payrolling of benefits in kind. So, I want, so I've been involved with this organisation. In effect, they've given notification that uh, the Office of Tax Simplification will end, and then they want that to be in name of HMRC, uh, which is interesting. I, th- I always thought, uh, careful what I say, I'm, I'm thinking here, Sam, I always thought HMRC always had a goal for simplification, but the goal was for them 
rather than anybody else. They, we just had to deal with the complexities. So was that a bit cynical? But there's an element of hopefully we will see. But actually, having uh, spoken with the minister um, last week, I think there is a goal that's the new economic secretary who's responsible for Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs. And that, that uh, responsibility has changed from what was the financial secretary. So it has changed minister who, who's responsible for it. He is wanting to simplify things for business. So there is an opportunity to try and move ahead. But some of these proposals were part of that. And well, I guess we'll discuss those, won't we? But uh, we'll see where it goes. And you like to add to that, Sam? I know that the OTS have got a call for evidence out at the moment on hybrid working. Um, we have been notified that they're bringing the closing date of that call for evidence forward to the 28th of October. I think it was sat at the 25th of November so if there is anyone that's attending that wants to respond to that, they've brought the closing date forward to the 28th of October. Fantastic. Interestingly, and this is from a recruitment perspective, I've seen a lot of companies introduce the four-day week from the five-day week. But uh, since that's happened, I've also seen some scramble to try and go back to five days. And it's quite complicated. So sometimes we'll make those decisions very early, thinking it's a great thing. And then, of course, we get it thrown into economic turmoil and everyone wonders if it's the right decision. So, um, yeah, just that's a recruitment observation from my side working with clients. But it's been interesting to watch these things on a, on a much broader scale. Um, what if you could just bring us up to speed then, Sam, on the 19% basic rate and how that's going to impact payroll? Yeah, so the 19% basic rate tax. So our previ previous Chancellor of the Exchequer, Rishi Sunak, um, pledged in his spring statement that he would reduce the basic rate of income tax to 19% from April 2024. However, the growth plan has brought that forward a year. So from April 2023, the basic rate of income tax will be reduced to 19%. So it's coming in a year earlier than pledged. Fantastic. I'm just going to put out a little uh, note here that Ross Hendren is very, uh, very well, well spotted. We always imagine payroll people to have great attention to detail. It's now His Majesty's revenue and customs. And that's uh, sorry if I was me that made that slip up, but uh, a good <laughs> good observation on the next. It was probably me. So great <laughs> that was. Uh, I, I knew it's possible. Oh, really? so always had great attention to detail. So we'll try and correct that for the rest of the show. The other challenge here, Nick, and maybe where Andy's maybe got some thoughts, is people may have been making decisions, certainly on salary sacrifice pension contributions, on the fact that they topped up their contributions because of the increase in health and social care levy on national insurance, because they get national insurance released as well. And of course, that's all kind of wiped away. Any commentary there, Andy? Obviously, we discussed the basic rate bit and we've discussed the issues on the marketplace. Uh, as Simon was saying, people salary sacrifice, they may have chosen from April to go salary sacrifice because of the extra employer and employee, 1.25%, etc., on national insurance. But it's still a great saving in terms of national insurance. So um, salary sacrifice is still a good approach, really, in that respect. I think... Um, we just got to watch the space, really, haven't we, to see what is the implications on the basic rate tax. That's the big one, I think, um, from a pensions perspective, from a payroll pensions perspective. Anyway, 
dealing with that on the sacrifice amount. With dividends and directors, I'm not sure there is so much an impact. Unless, well, actually, <laughs> except, again, I guess a director could have been voting through higher employer contributions on a basis that they wouldn't pay them as much in dividends. But I think uh, it's all a bit of the same thing. Is it, Andy, do you think? It's that I think there's an element of, Nick, these changes, it's 9th of November and 6th of April uh, 2023, may be decision points for people to review what they want to do and whether they want to change their mind. Equally, I guess that impacts the fact that, uh, well, I don't know how your fuel bills are, but my my fuel company is wanting to up my DD by 200%. Don't know why, because I've never had a bill that high. And even if you doubled, it wouldn't be. But I think it's because they just like to hold money. How are people going to affect it? And I know there's some commentary even on social media, the fact that people might consider that they need to dip in to maybe their pension savings or reduce just to survive the winter. I don't know. Is that too wide and too speculative, Andy, to comment on? Well, we, I mean, a regular, we would be concerned if employers are in distress or individuals, particularly um, with all the cost of living increases, would be would be thinking uh, maybe I need to stop paying into my pension, um, which could be a contribution holiday. So they just say, can I not pay for three months? But we would still expect the employer to pay, but maybe the employers in financial stress, you know. So if that is a situation that you've got employees who are struggling to cope, then they should speak to their employer. The employer should speak to the pension provider and see what can be done. As long as the motivation isn't about inducement or coercion of stopping contributions, you know, as in it's actually about trying to survive type thing. So the individual is making those decisions. There's no external influence on them. Then that's just how life is. And we wouldn't be looking to pursue intervention because the employer seems to be trying to persuade people to come out of the scheme so they can save the employer contribution. So we are concerned that the current economic climate may reduce contributions into pension schemes, which is going to affect people's long-term ability to live well. And But if employers are in distress, they should come and speak to TPR. You know, sure. And if employees are in distress, speak to your employer and the pension provider. Maybe take a contribution all day and then start again as soon as you can. You know. It's good advice. It's good advice. But let's move the conversation forward then to the next aspects of the growth plan, which are links to off payroll working rules, also known as IR35, which were put in place uh, for public from uh, 6th of April 2023. Really interesting subject. We've talked about this at length over previous episodes. I know some companies, particularly recruitment firms like mine, have put a considerable amount of investment into making sure that uh, we're managing IR35 compliantly and all our contractors are working compliantly and so on and so forth. Um, it was introduced in 2017. Uh, we're going to see it scrapped, if I understand it correctly. Uh, one, if you could just uh, bring us up to speed on these growth plan changes, Simon. Uh, sure. So that, again, this was a little bit of a maybe a surprise, although there's been some heavy uh, lobbying of government to get rid of them because it's kind yeah. of hated by the contract market and uh, and that sort of position. And it's surprising, actually, how many uh, public sector employers use this type of arrangement historically although public sector have fallen under the 2017 aspect, like local authorities, etc. But uh, some businesses probably uh, suffered the walkout on uh, April uh, 2021, 
when it was brought in. So a series of IT contractors just didn't turn up anymore, but uh, has caused a lot of contention, and but very strong lobbying around. Now, uh, the principle the government had, of course, was that lots of these uh, personal service companies were only paying themselves uh, minimal amounts to avoid paying tax and national insurance. That's their sort of view rather than my statement of what I believe and uh, and that uh, there were billions being lost to the exchequer so they brought in these measures. Now the announcement uh, may at face value look as if we're going back to how it used to be but I don't think it is. I think what that means is the responsibility will now fall back to the individuals and it may well be policed heavier. The challenge with that, of course, is there's no employer NI liability being paid by the engager anymore. So it has saved that element of cost, but that may now fall on the responsibility of the contractor themselves. But this comes in on the 5th of April uh, 2023, the abolition. So it still exists. And equally, it's when work is done. So there is potentially a carry forward. So we could say you don't need to do uh, any more CEST checking from the 6th of April. And for any work done from the 6th of April, there isn't a liability to uh, withhold tax and national insurance as an engager. But if they did the work on the 5th of April, and send in their invoice two years later, that fell before the abolition. So there is a requirement to withhold the tax and national insurance. And I guess that potentially that responsibility for late invoicing for work already done could occur for up to four years. It is certainly something that I think, certainly in my sector in recruitment and for the contractors, not just that, that, that we work with, but with other recruiters that I'm in touch with, that you know, they have much, much bigger contractor books than us in some sectors. They're kind of rejoicing at this change, but also equally frustrated um, that it's now been scrapped with the amount of investment and work that's gone into it. And equally, you mentioned yeah. at the start of this with contractors not turning up, but there were also a number of employers that immediately terminated uh, all of their contractors until they'd been reassessed. So there was a it impacted a number of contractors as well in, in different ways. Uh, but I think ultimately it's, um, it's something that's been celebrated within the contractor and recruitment uh, industries for sure. But there's a little bit of frustration there, certainly for those who put in a, a significant amount of investment to get themselves ready um, to now see it scrapped so soon. Oh, you mentioned that the responsibility uh, now is with the PSC. I wonder if we could, um, maybe Sam, if you can just enlighten us in, in what that means. Yeah, so I think the way I try to explain it is to put it into a bit of a, an example. So if I, Sam, work for Sam Limited, so it's my own limited company, now it's my own responsibility to determine my employment tax status. So previously, let's say I worked for a really, really large company, let's say I worked for Apple, Prior to the 6th of April next year, um, the rules were that they would determine my tax status. So they'd say, Sam's got a desk, she's got an email address, she's got a job title. For her tax status, she's an employee. And as Simon explained, they'd withhold tax and NI from my um, invoice value, so to speak. From April, I decide whether I'm an employee. So I could say that, well, no, I've determined my own working hours. I've determined my own rate of pay. Apple have agreed to it. 
I am a contractor. I'm not an employee. So through my own limited company, I'll pay myself minimum salary and large dividends. And that's great, as long as that is the truth. Um, but that's also why the off-payroll working rules were implemented in the first instance. It's why they were implemented. You know, as part of the growth plan, they did say that they will keep compliance closely under review. I don't know how they're going to do that moving forward, but it'll be it'll be interesting to see what their plan for compliance is from April. For sure, for sure. And we know as well, because we've had a number of PQTs about this. We've had John Keeble as our, our, our legal expert talking about R35 as well. But a number of payroll departments have really had to, to do a lot of work as well to make sure they're ready, to make sure sometimes they've recruited people in to help them with R35. So I'm going to run another poll here to see how many it actually did impact. Um, it's our third and final poll for today. Um, and that's to really find out if the off payroll working was really worth the effort. Yes, it was easy, didn't really impact you in, in the payroll department, or perhaps it was a real pain and you didn't need to recruit people specifically for that task that's come out of your payroll budget and, and so on and so forth. Uh, you didn't have any that it impacted and therefore it wasn't relevant for you. Uh, or perhaps you're still not familiar with what IR35 is and you wouldn't be alone in that either. It was uh, it didn't impact everybody and we were still still some late adopters to it as well. So be interesting to see what everyone's results are for this. I'm going to let the poll run a little bit longer than last time. So I think I closed it slightly too early and there are still some people keen to vote. Um, of course, if you do have any questions on R35 and questions that you want to ask our panel, do put them in the questions box. We'll answer those in real time if we can. Um, so if you have any questions, it could be about pensions, payroll. It doesn't even have to be about the topics we're discussing today. It could be about anything at all that impacts your payroll. Uh, please do let us know and we'll put those to the panel as they come in. I'm going to let it, this poll run just a little bit longer. I think we've had just over 60% of everybody vote so far. So if you haven't managed to put your response in there, even if you're not sure, you're not sure what it is, uh, just answer it for us. We'll get the most accurate poll results that we can. And I'll close that poll in just a few seconds. I think Simon also has just uh, logged off and logged back on with a few audio issues as well. So hopefully we'll have Paul, uh, sorry, Simon back on the show in just a moment. So let's close this poll and see how it looks. Yeah, I'm back. Excellent. So I'm going to share these then, um, Simon. I know that uh, we just had Sam talk us about uh, what the PSC bit means. So I wonder if you could perhaps have some commentary on the results. Yes, it was easy. It was 18%. It was a pain. We recruited people for this was 40%. We didn't have any that impacted 40%. And what is this was 2%. So uh, a neck and neck tie for we didn't have any or it was a pain and we recruited people for this. Yeah, I think that's um, that's the dichotomy of it, isn't it? It was uh, it was easy if you had none, and it was uh, awful if you had some. In fact, yeah. I think it was a the tool was very badly named. Uh, in fact, I have to be very careful in certain presentations because um, I don't want to use the word in whenever it's saying where you do this. So you can't say you do this in because it comes out very badly. I would agree. It was a pain. I didn't recruit people for it, but, you know, it, it was due to come in in 2020. Then, you know, sorry to say the C word, but COVID struck um, and it was delayed. So everyone had to get their head around it, ready for it to be implemented in April 2020. Then it was put on hold. Then it was implemented again. And now they're taking it away. Um, so, yeah, it's just a lot for people to get their head around and, uh, and another yeah. piece of change. But Presumably I presume that you would have ticked that box as well then, Nick. It was a pain. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, I'm similar to us as a recruitment firm, but for yourself as a, you know, as in the policy team at CRPP, this is something that I imagine you put a lot of resource into understanding. Even if you didn't recruit people for it, getting your heads around it to advise others, it wasn't a um, a simple thing to to explain or to to to, to really get up to grips with. So it's uh, I think a lot of time has been lost in just sort of understanding it, let alone um, you know, actually implementing it. So uh, yeah, uh, overall, I think we're celebrating that. Well, we're celebrating as a recruiter that it's gone. <laughs> It's been a frustration, shall we say. Let's jump into the real living wage anyway. I think this is really important. Uh, it's been brought forward from November to September. Again, there's still some confusion about what this is. So I wondered, um, Simon, if you may, if you can perhaps give us some insight into what it is and how it impacts us now that it's been brought forward from November to September. Uh, yes, it's a bit of a uh, the Living Wage Foundation wanted to announce the rates earlier. We'll look at the rationale. But uh, Living Wage Foundation is an independent government. It's a group of uh, individuals that set up an organisation that wanted to promote uh, people being paid a real living wage or because there's more expense in London, a London living wage as well. And they've signed up. 11,000 employers so far who pledge to pay at or above these uh, rates. So they're above the government's minimums. And uh, as I say, they announce them usually each November. And then those that uh, claim living wage foundation accreditation or living wage um, have six months to implement them. This year, because of the cost of living, the Living Wage Foundation decided to announce them earlier. I think it's 22nd of September from memory. And uh, these are the rates shown, £10.90. 11.95 for London, and uh, they haven't brought forward though the six-month limit. So the uh, latest Living Wage Foundation accredited employer has is to the 14th of May, 2023, to apply these rates without losing their accreditation. It's a voluntary code. Uh, it's different to national minimum wage. The judgment point is different. National minimum wage is much more about how much pay is received, whereas the real living wage is much more about what rate is paid. And so you can be a real living wage employer and still be in breach of minimum wage law. That is still possible. And the other aspect of the Living Wage Foundation is they've launched something different called Living Hours. And this is, in effect, to battle the zero hours worker type things where uh, the employee works regular 35 hours a week, but is on zero hours contract to have employers promote that they'll actually give regular hours um, that work for individuals and won't be reliant on zero hours contractors when actually they're working a lot. Hopefully that's a little bit of help, but uh, this all leads into the real national minimum wage announcements, which we haven't had yet. Well, I think, I'm assuming this is correct, and Sam, correct me if I'm wrong as the expert here, but the real living wage has increased from 10.90 an hour, which is a £1 increase in the UK, um, and 90 pence an hour for to 11.95 for those in London. Um, and you mentioned, Simon, that you know, 11,000 uh, employers have signed up, but actually that impacts 400,000 employees. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a massive thing that's impacting a lot of people um, and we'll, you know, the living wage will support a number of workers and families. But anything you'd like to add there, Sam, before we jump into uh, the national minimum wage differences, so to speak? No, I think just echoing what Simon said, even if people are an accredited living wage foundation employer, 
you've still got to be mindful of the regulations and your compliance around the national minimum and the national living wage. Obviously, if you're paying above, hopefully you've never fall foul of the, the compliance there, but you've got to always be mindful of the national minimum wage. Um, but yeah, it's voluntary. Again, it's hit the nail on the head, doesn't it? Often does. let's talk about the sound and the impact on payroll so hopefully people have got to grips now with what the differences are and how it can impact of course we need to be very conscious that it's uh, it is different and you know you want to make sure that you're always paying national minimum wage what's the overall impact on payroll i suppose that as part of the this cost of living crisis you know people it sounds really obvious but people are going to get paid more. And, you know, employers want to be investing in their employees right now. And, you know, employers want to be retaining employees. And Nick, I'm sure you're seeing a lot at the minute in, you know, the retention of staff. And this is something that employers can do that's helping out with the cost of living crisis, you know, financial well-being. It's something that employers can be looking out for as well. Obviously, if you're paying people more, however, you've then you're expecting increased NICs, increased tax. It's those normal things in regards to the effect on payroll. But I think the whole purpose of the Living Wage Foundation is to make sure people are earning a living that they can live on. So, you know, we'd always recommend for people to explore options like this. Yeah, I know something's been popular in the in the social groups that I'm part of from a recruitment perspective and employment side is that um, obviously you're able to gift up to fifty pounds and people have done that through you know shopping and on and food food cards and things like that as long as it doesn't go over that that level. But are there any other? Or either if one of you can either um, advance on on that knowledge, uh, maybe Simon or Sam, but also other things that perhaps employers or payroll departments can do to support it that are, that already exist. I think there are some other benefits in terms of where you commute to work and sharing and, and, and other bits as well in terms of bus routes. I think employers can offer free of charge if you go certain ways. And there's a few things like that. Is there anything there that's worth bringing to the fore for those that perhaps are considering options to help their employees? I'd say that you know if you provide parking at or near a place of work an employer can provide that free of charge uh, without a taxable benefit one of our guests today have asked about the employee assistance programs and um, you know the welfare counseling side of things is an exempt benefit there's lots of different things that employers can do even if they're not a tax-free option, employers can always add things onto a PSA if they're wanting to look at their financial well-being package that they offer to their employees. Simon, what are your thoughts on that one? Uh, they all sound good. Uh, I'm going to say, Sam, you've hit the nail on the head. But uh, <laughs> is, is that the expression? <laughs> that it, there are some challenges around uh, on some of those things, Nick. I don't know what it's like in other counties, but uh, uh, I say in the county of Cambridge here where I'm living, there are about 40 bus routes that have been cancelled by ah, the okay. Uh, a well-known firm of uh, bus providers. And there is an element of thinking, how are people going to get to work? And so that must be a problem for some of those employers. What are those employees going to do? Because they've been travelling for, I don't know, 15 years to that place of work on that route. And now it's gone and they're in a village. Where do they get, how do they get to work? Fabulous. Well, let's um, 
take it take it to the next point. And I think we've got a few hot topics we're going to try and get through as well. If anyone has any questions on the uh, the real living wage, please do uh, pop those in the uh, the chat box. Before we jump back to into hot topics, I've also got a question that's coming from Roz, which links back to R35. It says, do you think engagers should still assess deemed employment so they can help contractors maintain compliance, or would you now completely back off? I'd say it's a personal choice of the end engager. Yeah. Sit on the fence. <laughs> um, it would be personal choice. There's nothing to say that they have to. I'd probably say don't do it. Uh, it it's just a, a gut feeling I have. Um, you're almost, you have no requirement to do so. And uh, wh why would you be entering into a tax advice obligation when you have none now? Uh, that's just an initial sort of feeling, Nick. The responsibility has gone elsewhere. It's going to be an interesting time, isn't it? Don't forget, automatic enrolment defines employees as all, uh, covered for automatic enrolment and workers. So whoever is working for you, you need to make sure that the relationship that end engager, the work, the employer, who is the employer, is always going to be a route that the regulator will look at. Is this person employed? So if you're truly self-employed, it's outside of automatic enrollment. A lim individual limited companies, so one single director outside automatic enrollment. But if the person is actually providing services personally to that employer, they could be a personal service worker, in which case they would come under automatic enrollment. So the employer should always, or the company, the organisation should always be looking at anyone they've got that are paying either a fee to on invoice or certainly all employees will be covered. But the it's just they should have that logic anyway. What is the relationship? So bring it back to basics. So if it's a limited company, individual, from a regular perspective, an employer or an organisation employing a limited company, if it's truly a limited company, they're outside AE. The limited company has duties for the staff that they have. And if it's a single director only company, then it's outside of AE. But if they've got employees, then those employees will come under automatic enrollment yeah. duties by that limited company or directors who are employed could be covered if there's more than one employed director or another employee. So the organisation, just make sure you're, you know what that contractual relationship is. So maybe you do need to check. Not so much yeah. the IR35 SES thing, but just the, is this, is this person covered as a worker? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think I think that's right, Andy. I think that's a general thing, isn't it? Um, yeah. Assessed checking is relating to a non-employee, non-worker of whether yeah. they fall under IR35 for tax withholding. The more fundamental question here is, are they really the engager's employee or worker? Yeah directly and they're not engaging a business at all whether they fall under IR35 or not so are they really trying to pretend they're not their employee when they are and I think that's uh, the critical layer you're, you're suggesting for pension AE is identify your workers yeah because they're not IR35 yeah. is not a worker legally under that term however some employers and organizations might be disguising those types of people to yeah. uh, not fall under the duties when they do. The ever-reliable yeah, right. Ashley Dorman has uh, has also made a comment here to say, and an IR35 deemed employee is more expensive from an employer NIC and apprenticeship levy perspective. Bow out from April 2023 if you can save a few pounds. 
thanks for that, Ashley. <laughs> I always enjoy your commentary with that. They usually get one sort of post uh, every single session, and they're always, they're always put belters. I like for that. I'm um, just building on uh, for what Sam mentioned about the parking. I just found uh, a little resource here. So hopefully this is still accurate. Simon or Sam, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but other things you can supply your employees with the cost of living crisis as it is. Um, you can eat for free, so you can provide free or subsidised meals to your employees at your yeah. premises as long as the food is provided equally to all your employees or all of those working at a particular site. There is no taxable benefit for the workers. So something to consider there. Obviously, the cost of food is going up and the food bank's being used more than ever. Uh, buses to work, we mentioned that slightly uh, before. I know bus routes may not be there for everybody, but if there is a bus to work, then you can provide free or subsidised transport for employees to get to work uh, to help those who struggle to pay for fuel for their cars. A works bus that transports your employees and their children if required to and from work can be used for the full journey or part of it when employees are collected from a pickup point. The vehicle must be designed to carry at least nine passengers and the service must be available generally to any of your employees. Alternatively, your business could work with the local authorities to subsidise a key bus for your workers to get to and from work. Um, again, if any of this is incorrect, please do, uh, do update me. Um, this is a couple of months old, this information. But small loans is another. Uh, many employees will provide a season ticket loan to help employees pay in advance for their commuting costs. But such interest-free loans up to £10,000 can be provided for any reason. The loan must be repayable and the loan agreement should be drawn up. And last but not least, which I mentioned that we've done and, and other recruiters have done as well, um, small gifts. Just as directors can receive tax-free gifts worth up to £50 from their company, uh, so can employees. Buying a school uniform for a worker's child or surprising them with a food hamper on their birthday may make a big difference to the family. Uh, the 300 annual cap only applies to directors and their family members, not other employees. Is there anything that, that's um, worth commenting on that? Or is that pretty accurate as it's come out? Yeah, Sounds pretty good to accurate. Me, I'd say use specs as well. If anyone needs to wear specs, eye tests. Yeah, great point. You know, three out of four of us are wearing specs today. Um, so, you know, <laughs> anyone that's working on a computer, employers can cover the cost for that as well. Super. I think it's really good bringing these things together because not everyone's always aware. Um, and also these little changes, the marginal gains can make a huge impact um, on people that are struggling. So we've opened up the hot topics here. We talked a little bit about the cost of living, um, the fuel crisis of financial well-being. But I'm assuming uh, there may be some other elements here we want to just build upon. So I'm going to come back to you here, Simon, because I think this was your point to add to the hot topics. Is there anything here you'd like to add? Well, yeah, we've discussed a little bit on the four-day week as well. So, yeah. fuel crisis, financial well-being. There is a lot of promotion of uh, financial well-being solutions. I don't know if the new pension minister is responsible for it, and he may know or not. But Guy Opperman, within his portfolio, was also financial inclusion. Mm -hmm. But of course, he was he wasn't a Liz Trust supporter, so it's not being carried on. Uh, um, mm -hmm. Sorry if that sounds a bit of a uh, a funny one but uh, but he was certainly out for the promotion of credit unions uh, and saving schemes and also uh, there's the scheme that uh, Nest have been involved in mm -hmm. um, where money is mm -hmm. yes where money is put aside and you need it for emergency use it's there to be used but after a period of time it then funds into the pension scheme uh, for future retirement and so there, there is an element of that and just looking at fees and, it, and it's um, speaking with a couple of providers, some schemes operational there to enable where the employer pays the fee uh, to the provider to, to enable short term obtaining of money on an advanced basis, etc. So there's various options around in relation to financial well-being. But I, I think people are worrying about things at the moment, especially this week, uh, since the collapse of the markets. 
you know, young people trying to buy a house or things mm. like that. How's that going to play out into work? And so I think there's um, hopefully things settle down very rapidly, maybe even after today. But uh, I think we're in feel like we're in troubled waters. Although aside from the it doesn't necessarily impact payroll, but of course, there has been a, a really good change to the stamp duty impacts of buying a first property as well, which obviously has increased quite significantly. So hopefully that will help people to buy as well. Uh, but I appreciate there's uh, it's challenging out there for everybody at the moment. Um, Emma's just mentioned as well, something we forgot to add is free flu jabs as well, of course. So that's something mm-hmm. that um, another benefit that we can all consider and um, help people keep people healthy and working is really, really important. So that's something that we can that we can add into the mix. Do you think there's more pay and demand requests? Do you think that's going to grow from a payroll operational perspective? That could be really time-consuming. I think that's probably a, a webinar all by itself, uh, pay on demand. Yeah. I mean, Simon might be better to answer that being in Irene and being part of a systems uh, provider that, that offers uh, or may well in the future offer those kind of solutions. Certainly, there's a lot more coming to the market. I've done podcasts with quite a few of these uh, these suppliers, and I get contacted weekly by people I've, new companies i've never heard of that are now offering pay on demand solutions there's definitely a growth seen as a growth market here in the uk i think um i looked at the last cipp report that look at some of the audience they reported not many were actually taken up at that point or interest in doing so but i s- suspect that will change over time just because we you know, it's happened in the states it's been adopted elsewhere um and employees tend to rule the roost and what they want now as, as the consumers and engagers. So if they're demanding it, I think you'll see it come in. But um, yeah, big question. Yeah. I, and that's talking completely separately to the payroll implications of doing it, just about what employees want it. And I think we will see it increase. Um, I think it's been slow to adopt. Well, yeah. well I think there's an element of what what is the future. And I think uh, as, as a payroll professional, we are a little bit still in cycles So we like our cycles. So I don't know, on the 6th, we collect the tax codes. On the 9th, we collect the timesheets. Everyone gets paid on the 25th. And actually, going back 20 or 30 years ago, uh, you probably found yourself, or maybe longer because I'm a bit long in the tooth, uh, you may have found that your mortgage came out on the 1st, whether you wanted it to or not. But nowadays, your mortgage comes out when you choose it to come out. Uh, So whether whether there's an instant or... A- actual access i don't know but i think in my head it's little been or on my dream head for payroll i think there's an element of uh, pay on demand will become choose when you're paid i mean really paid and uh, mm. we as payroll professionals could we cope with that can our mind cope with that or are we still in a monthly cycle of well on this day we do this and on that day we do that because if we really go into a pay-on-demand model, a true payroll pay-on-demand model, we'll be mm. paying people every day. There have been a few things on the social discussions, Nick, I've seen, of one or two providers um, actually starting to offer uh, Monday to Friday, choose your pay. Yeah, that includes Saturday, that. Sunday. I don't know why, but uh, it could, they could do First is better, yeah. better than, I, mean, I, you know, I think sometimes we want change, but uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about the dissolution of the monthly pay cycle, and that sounds great. But in reality, yeah. I think uh, actually we, we like routine, uh, certainly in the UK, and we like routine, we like knowing and, and arranging and planning for yes. things coming. And suddenly to take that away, I think would be, as much as we think we want it, I think it would shock a lot of people. Um, 
Yeah. And actually, choice isn't always a good thing. It's a bit like the um, we talked about the flexible working and hybrid working. Hybrid working, in my opinion, as a recruiter, is a great thing. I think we've seen a huge adoption of it. And I think it works really well looking at work-life balance. However, I still believe it works best when the hybrid is fixed as to the days you're in the office and the days you're not, as opposed to those that offer come in when you want. Because I may arrange to come in on a Tuesday to meet an employee who's arranged to do the same. Last minute, they change their mind. I'm in the office. They've gone somewhere else. But still, it gets really confusing. I think we do like routine and and. Yeah, I think it works really well if it's planned and there is some structure around it. I think the yes. takeaway structure, it can be chaos sometimes. Yeah. Well, I think flexible benefits schemes are sort of gave us the, the ability to flex as much as we want. I think the reality is for the majority of us, we choose what we want and we stay with it for some time yeah. until something changes. Uh, we're not actually dipping in each month and changing our mind. Oh, this way, this month I'll have a bit of medical and the next month I'll have a bit of pension. I think we're making a choice which then is set until we hit something that makes us change our mind. And I think that's the same with other things in life. And I think, is that really where the future is? So I think the cycles will stay, but the individual will choose the cycle. That's yeah. where I'd hope it was. And if they don't, if they want to be fairly random, the capability is there to do either way. Just choose and it. But, uh, Sam, but I, have to say, I haven't changed my flex choices for years. <laughs> I'll get your opinion on this, Sam, because for me as a recruiter, then if I look at the lower end of the, the, the earning scale, those that are national minimum wage, that's where I think pay on demand can have a huge impact because sometimes you can't afford the bus route to get to work in the first place or whatever, the fuel to get to work because you are on the real red line to get there. And I think if you can, if you can make that available on a pay on demand for those at the, the, at the uh, national minimum wage end of, of the employee, employee market, I think it could be quite a, a good benefit. But I think... Um, yeah, watch this space. And Barbara's put out there that uh, Pound of Bar would be a great topic for next time. So make sure you put that down in the survey that will follow this show, Barbara, and we'll, uh, we'll take all the responses in. If others feel the same, put it in the survey and we'll, we'll, we'll tackle that for sure. Uh, Emma Vaughan's also mentioned that I've seen a bigger take up on our medical cover. It takes the pressure off. Um, Sam, I can see you nodding. So I'm going to come mm -hmm. to you and just see what your thoughts are there. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, you, you mentioned that you'd taken a look at the future of payroll report. I think you put the link in the chat as well, Nick. Uh -huh, Thank yeah. you for that. Pay on demand. Not a lot of people know end to end the, the, the full picture. I think it's still very new. I know it's been implemented in the US and I think a lot of EU countries, it, it's now law that you can, that they have pay on demand. And it's like anything, isn't it? Anything that's new, you need to know the ins and outs before you can make a judgment call on it. And I go to a lot of events where it's the, the hot topic of conversation. And I think that's because people want to know more about it. Even me in the role that I'm in, I don't feel like I've got a full end-to-end -end knowledge to make a judgment call. I think a lot of people's concerns are if people can get their hands on their salary prior to the contractual payday is that in the long run going to cause more financial hardship with people not budgeting withdrawing your cash down and what then if you know for example someone has a gambling addiction and they withdraw all their money and then come the end of the month they haven't got the money to pay their rent or their mortgage there's got to be some sort of regulation around it to stop financial hardship if it's all works in favor 
of helping people financially hesitant because i don't know the full picture from this side of things i know a lot of suppliers uh, that offer it can can, and employers can choose to fix how much of wages are actually paid on demand so it's not always the whole amount it may may fix it at just 20 percent of the the full amount and things like that so there are some uh, flexible arrangements around it i think what's really interesting and you must see this crpp as well is most of the talks we're seeing and they are they're everywhere now webinars on pay demand Nine times out of ten, though, those webinars are delivered by the software providers that are providing it. So it's really interesting to hear from someone like yourself, Sam, and, and others that you know aren't actually representative, representative of one of the providers and getting that perspective. Um, and I think uh, Barb is absolutely right. It'd be an interesting topic for the future. Maybe we can get a software provider that does offer it on the show as well to get their perspective. And everyone seems to do it slightly differently. And that kind of bamboozles you further. You know, every solution I've seen offers it in a slightly different way. And there's concerns yeah. about whether it's a loan or whether it's not, and this, that, and that, this, that, and the other. And um, there's a bit of a minefield for information. Um, and Dodd has just posted, you have to be careful with giving employee flu jabs. So apologies, I've made this as, a, as an error in my statement. Uh, if employees claim it back through expenses, it is taxable as earnings. Yeah, it has to be employer provided. It has to be provided by the employer rather than a reimbursement so I'm glad you mentioned that. Fantastic. I think that's covered all of our questions. So uh, we are going to be back with PQT um, on October the 21st. If you have any further questions, you can put them in the chat box right now. Um, if there's anything else you'd like us to cover off next time, such as uh, pay on demand, um, then please do let us know. Uh, Barbara's just said, yes, again, uh, it'd be great to have this in. We're trialing it at the moment. Um, so having that talked about on the next PQT would be perfect. Thank you, Barbara, for that information. Thank you for everyone for getting involved uh, in the questions and in the polls. And we look forward to bringing you the next episode of PQT on October the 21st. Uh, registrations will open soon. I'll put a quick link in the chat box. You can access that and save it in your uh, in your folders, or your bookmarks. And um, we look forward to joining you all October 21st. Thank you ever so much. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Andy. And thank you, Simon. Thanks, Nick. Bye, thank guys. You. Bye, all. Bye, all. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into the Payroll Podcast with Nick Day of JGA Recruitment. If you need help with a current payroll vacancy, then please get in touch with Nick and his team. All contact details can be found in the episode notes. In the meantime, to make sure you never miss a future episode, please subscribe to the show through any of your favorite podcast channels. Till next time.